Well, we're going to turn to this morning's scripture reading. In today's gospel reading, we're going to pick up the story of Jesus as he and his disciples are in the city of Jerusalem, standing at the bottom of a great hill, looking up towards the temple, the house of God, this place of worship in the heart of the city. Listen now as we hear from the gospel of Mark, the conversation that Jesus and his disciples had as they looked up at the temple one day. This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Mark, chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. I'm reading the New International Version. As he was leading the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So today we continue our Faith at the Movies at Home sermon series with a movie called Thor Ragnarok. This movie was chosen for us by Emery Walling, and I'm going to let him say a few words about why he selected this movie. Well, uh, I enjoy it because it's uh, just a fun movie to watch. Like, it's enjoyable to watch, and it doesn't really get boring. Um, And then I thought it'd be interesting to try and pull something out of it that relates to church and God. That's right. At least in part, Emery chose this movie as a way of throwing down the gauntlet. Emery chose this movie as a way of saying, okay, preacher, what can you do with this one? And it's true, at least at first glance, this movie is a lot harder to preach about than the last couple of movies we looked at. The first movie we looked at in this sermon series was Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo tells the story of a father's love for his son. It's a movie about the love that causes someone to cross an entire ocean seeking out another person who is lost. That that movie is practically a parable of Jesus already. And then last week we looked at McFarland, USA. McFarland, USA is a movie about running the race and persevering and finding value in community more than we find it in in material things. And that movie might as well be a, a letter to the church from the Apostle Paul. But this week's movie, well, this week we've got a superhero movie with all of the choreographed violence of a modern superhero movie. The majority of this film, Thor Ragnarok, is is made up of people punching and stabbing and throwing each other through the air. And at first glance, it's hard to see, it's hard to believe that we could ever hear the voice of the Prince of Peace 
in this movie about the God of thunder. But if we're willing to dig a little deeper, if we are willing to look past all of the punching and stabbing and listen carefully and watch closely, we'll discover that there are things happening in this movie. There are moments in this movie that speak to some of the deepest spiritual challenges that you and I are facing in the world today. For example, there's a moment in this movie, there's a scene in this movie when a, a crowd of refugees who are fleeing from violence and oppression in their homeland suddenly find a seemingly insurmountable barrier standing between them and freedom. And that scene from this superhero movie is played out a thousand times in a thousand different places all around the world each day. Yeah, the Bible tells us that the plight of refugees is a spiritual challenge. The Bible has lots to say about loving and caring for and welcoming refugees. And then in this movie, we also see a, a wealthy and powerful civilization being faced with the fact that all of that wealth and all of that power came from centuries of exploiting and oppressing and even obliterating other cultures and worlds and civilizations. And that message seems timely for a moment when America is reckoning with its long history of oppressing and enslaving and committing genocide against other peoples in this world. Even some of the smallest moments in this movie have, have just a, a little drop of spiritual wisdom for us. I asked Emery what was his favorite character in this movie. And Emery immediately mentioned a relatively minor character called Korg. I'll let Emery tell you a little bit about, about Korg. Here's how Emery describes this minor character, Korg. Well, I guess my, one of the characters that I like a lot would be Korg, who's the big rock guy. Korg is a character in the movie that Thor meets when he's captured. And one of his main purposes in the movie is for comic relief. Well, definitely one of my favorite moments in the movie is when Thor is first um, introduced to the people who he's uh, imprisoned with. And he meets Korg. And Korg explains the reason that he's in there is because he tried to start a revolution on his planet, but he didn't print enough pamphlets. And so I have to say, I love that moment when Korg describes how he ended up in prison. I love this moment when Korg reveals to Thor that he tried to start a revolution, but he forgot to print enough pamphlets. And so the only people who showed up were his mother and her boyfriend. I, I always laugh at that moment. And I can't help but feel that there's a little bit of wisdom in that moment for us right now, for this moment that we're living in. In a moment when so many people want to end injustice, want to end oppression, want to end poverty in this world, this, this small moment in this superhero movie reminds us that the people who actually make a difference are not the people with good intentions, but the people who do the hard work of planning and organizing and printing pamphlets. Even in the smallest moments of this movie, we can find some wisdom to help us tackle and address some of, the, some of the most serious spiritual challenges of our age. But of course, there's one message in this movie. There's one thing this movie has to offer that speaks so directly to the experience that you and I have been having for the last several months that it's, it's almost uncanny. Now, this movie, Ragnarok, begins with Thor, this superhero, this god of thunder, on a quest 
Thor is on a mission to save his home planet, the planet of Asgard. Asgard is a, a beautiful place. It's a planet of forests with tall trees and palaces made of marble and gleaming with gold. Thor loves his home planet and he's learned that his home planet Asgard is in danger. Thor has learned that there's an ancient prophecy that an evil being, a sort of demonic creature named Surtur, will one day destroy the planet Asgard in a, a sort of apocalyptic event called Ragnarok. And Thor is determined to keep this event, this apocalypse, from coming to his planet. And so he searches the galaxy and he hunts down this demonic being called Surtur. And in the beginning of the movie, Thor does battle with Surtur and, and Thor defeats this evil creature. But even as soon as Thor thinks he has saved his home planet, even as he has defeated his first enemy, another enemy arises. Now Asgard is ruled over by Thor's father, a sort of king of the gods called Odin. And Odin is very old and his time has come. And as he's dying, as he's preparing to leave, Odin has a conversation in which he reveals a, a dark secret to Thor. Odin reveals to Thor that Thor has a sister he's never met, a, a sister he's never learned about. Now, Thor's older sister is named Hela. She is the goddess of death. At one time, Hela led the armies of Asgard as they conquered and plundered other worlds. But Hela's power and her ambition became too great. Odin became afraid of what she would do if she were left unchecked, and so he imprisoned her. He caged her up and caused an entire planet to forget that she had even existed. But as he's dying, Odin tells Thor that he will no longer be present. His power will no longer keep her imprisoned. And so when he dies, she will return. And then Odin dies. And sure enough, as soon as Odin is gone, Hela appears. And she easily defeats Thor in battle. And then she takes control of the planet Asgard. And she begins a reign of terror and violence and oppression, killing and, and beating down anyone who dares to stand against her. And Hela is a truly terrifying villain, this goddess of death. Hela has the ability to cause swords to materialize and go flying through the air, an infinite number of swords and blades. She's a sort of one woman walking, talking military industrial complex. And the thing that makes Hela a truly terrifying enemy for Thor to face in this movie is that her power only increases. Hela's power comes directly from the planet Asgard. And so the longer she stays on the planet Asgard, the more powerful she becomes. Thor and his friends are afraid that if she remains on the planet, if she's not defeated, then her power will become so great that she will be able to conquer and rule and maybe even destroy the entire galaxy. And so Thor and his friends try to overthrow Hela, but she just flicks them away like so many flies. And finally, in his moment of ultimate desperation, when Thor has tried everything he can think of, when he has used all of his power and none of it, none of it has been able to unseat or defeat Hela, Thor has a moment of horrible realization. Thor realizes that he won't be able to save his home planet of Asgard. I imagine in that moment, this God of thunder, Thor, felt an awful lot like Jesus feels in this morning's scripture reading. In today's scripture reading, we find Jesus towards the end of his ministry. 
Jesus is in the city of Jerusalem. He rode into the city of Jerusalem just a few days earlier on the back of a donkey. And Jesus caused quite a stir when he entered the city. Many people and great crowds of people came out to see and watch as Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem as he rode on that donkey through the gates. Many of the people in Jerusalem were convinced that Jesus was about to reveal himself as the long-awaited Messiah. Many people were hoping that Jesus would claim power, that he would declare himself king and then call on the people to rise up in revolution against their enemy, the mighty Roman Empire. Many people hoped that Jesus would lead the armies of God's people against the Romans and drive them out of the city of Jerusalem forever. And Jesus, when he rode into the city, though, he didn't declare himself king. He didn't march into a palace and sit on a throne. Instead, he went to the temple, the house of God, this place of worship on a hill in the heart of the city. And there in the temple, Jesus started teaching the people. Day after day, he returned to the temple and sat on the temple steps and spent hours and hours teaching anyone who would listen. He taught them about the ways of God. He taught them about the love of God. He taught them about the kingdom of God. And then after days and days of teaching the people in the temple, there comes this moment, this conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. One evening after a long day of teaching, Jesus and his disciples start to leave the temple. They walk out the gates, they walk down the hill, and as they reach the bottom of the hill, one of Jesus' disciples looks back over his shoulder, back up at the temple complex and says, Teacher, would you look at those buildings? Just look at the size of those stones. And so Jesus and the other disciples turn around and they look back up the hill at the temple. And what they saw as they looked back up the hill at this house of God would have been truly awe-inspiring. Standing there at the bottom of the hill, they would have been looking up at the walls surrounding the temple. And just the walls surrounding the temple were magnificent. They towered over the disciples 20 stories tall. These walls were made of massive stones. Some of these stones were bigger than school buses. The biggest of the stones in this gigantic wall around the temple weighed 400, maybe 500 tons. And yet these enormous stones were carved with such precision that even though there was no mortar between the stones holding them together, it was impossible to slip even so much as a piece of paper between the stones. And then on the top of the hill, Rising out in the midst of these massive walls was the temple itself, a complex of buildings made of gleaming white marble and decorated with gold. People said that it was dangerous to look at the temple on a sunny day. The temple shined with such brilliance as it reflected the rays of the sun that you could easily lose your eyesight completely if you stared at the temple for too long. That's what Jesus and his disciples did at the bottom of the hill. They looked back up towards the temple and their hearts were filled with awe at the magnificence of this structure, this house of God, this home of God here on earth. And then as they were looking back up at the temple and, and breathing in this incredible sight, Jesus suddenly said something that shook the disciples to their core. As they looked back up at the temple, Jesus said to his disciples, do you see these buildings? Do you see these mighty stones? Truly I tell you, the day is coming when not one of these stones will be left on top of another. All of these stones will be thrown down, Jesus says. 
Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple. And Jesus can see where history is headed. Jesus can see that so many of his people are determined to take up arms, to take up swords, and and do battle with the Roman Empire. And he can see exactly where all of those efforts are inevitably headed. Jesus understands that the Roman Empire is the most efficient and effective military machine that the world has ever known. He knows that it's useless to try to beat the Romans at their own game. He knows that if his people keep trying to defeat the Romans in battle, it's only going to cause the Romans to finally destroy the temple and the whole of the city of Jerusalem. Jesus sees all of these events years before they actually take place. Standing there at the bottom of the hill, looking back up at the temple, Jesus knows that the temple cannot be saved. And it must have been hard for Jesus to say these words to his disciples. Jesus loved the city of Jerusalem. Just a few days earlier, the gospel describes a moment when Jesus goes up on a hill and looks out over the city and he weeps. So great is his love for this city. And we know that Jesus loved the temple. As a boy, he had loved to explore the temple. He made himself at home in the temple. He started calling the temple, my father's house. It must have been hard for Jesus to tell his disciples that the temple, the city of Jerusalem, could not be saved. Standing there at the bottom of the hill, Jesus sees an opportunity to teach the disciples something important about who he is and why he came into this world. He sees an opportunity to prepare them for the difficult events that they're about to experience. Standing there at the bottom of the hill, Jesus is trying to tell his disciples, these buildings are beautiful and they move our hearts and they inspire us to look to the heavens. But God did not send me into this world to save these buildings. God did not send me into this world to save these stones. My mission, the reason I came into this world, was to save the thing that is truly closest to the heart of God. I came into this world to save not the buildings, but the people. Jesus understands that God loves even more than the house of God on earth, even more than these buildings made with marble and gleaming with gold. God loves the people. And Thor has a moment in his battle with Hela when he suddenly realizes that even though he cannot save Asgard, even though he cannot save the planet, even though he cannot save all of this marble and gold, he can save the people. As Thor is doing battle with Hela, he realizes what he has to do. I'll let Emery describe what happens next in this movie and why it matters to us. They're trying to figure out how to defeat Hela when Thor goes to talk to his father for a second time, where he explains that the people that the people of Asgard is what Asgard is, not the place of Asgard. So that's when he realizes what he needs to do. So what he needs to do is go and save the people of Asgard by getting them off of Asgard and then destroying the planet because that's where Hela draws her power from. One of the main ideas at the end of the movie is that uh, the Asgard... Uh, is a people, not a place. So you could also relate that to the church being 
a group of people, not just a place you go to worship. Yeah, so the message that's in that is definitely that the church is the people, not the building. We're all part of the church. So at this particular point in time, that's a really important message and one that I think a lot of us could definitely take to heart. It's because we're currently not able, we're not able to go to the building of our church safely. And there you have it. In this superhero movie from 2017, we can hear an echo of the voice of Jesus. If we listen carefully, we can hear Jesus giving us exactly the wisdom that we need in this moment, the wisdom that we've needed for the last several months. Buildings are wonderful. Places are wonderful. Stained glass windows and pews and, and all of the things that cause us to feel connected to God in this place are wonderful. But at the end of the day, Jesus says, the thing that matters most to God the thing that God cares most deeply about, the thing that God has called us to save is not the buildings, not the place, but the people. If we can only remember that the thing that matters most to God is the people, then we will always know what to do. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for this place. We give you thanks for the moments and the stories that have happened in this place. We give you thanks for the baptisms, for the moments when we've gathered at the table, for the moments when we have joined our voices together in song in this place. And God, we pray that you would always help us to remember that as wonderful as this place is, those moments are not about the bricks and mortar, not about the stained glass windows, not about the carved wood. The thing that made those moments precious to us and to you was the people. The people who poured the water in baptism, the people who gathered with us at the table, the people who lifted their voices with us in song, the people who ate donuts with us in the parlors. God, help us always to remember that the church is not the building. The church is the people. In Jesus we pray. Amen.